What a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, what's your favorite Holy movie? Holy shit. Yeah. My God, you know what? I had seen this before. It had been a, it, quite a long time. It did, definitely left the impression of, of th- that it does, you know, that it's a an insane bloodbath. But I was not remembering or quite prepared for just how fucking brutal this movie got. Okay, so quick question. Yeah, this is an Alex pick. Is this movie good or is it? terribly terribly bad almost on the level of a japanese dungeon siege king's tale what honest question honest answer the fuck you talking about homie let's set this up we're talking about 13 assassins 2010 film from takashi Miike, who's an interesting director because he does about two or three movies a year and a lot of them are like children's television like (laughs) movies and shows in japan like little magical girl shows and then when he has the ability to make his own kind of movie he does some of the most disturbing bloody cinema you can see things like um ichi the killer is insane and uh audition has one of the hardest left turns into horror that i've ever ever seen and this this is an alex pick so i'm I'm insanely curious why you asked that question because my answer <coughs> is this movie is great and I will get into that. But, but like, and I think Jeff agrees with me. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, wholly and completely. Like, I don't even know how you could ask that question. This movie is okay. I mean, we're at, we're at a very rare moment on the podcast that I hope was going to happen where I have a new favorite movie. Interesting. What? Okay. Well, let, uh, first, Alex, why do you ask that question? So, <laughs> th- this time watching it around for some reason, there were moments where I felt like the dialogue was like weaker than it had been before. And somehow I like got hooked into this narrative about this movie that it was like, I don't know how to explain it. Just like extremely generic feudal Japan, end of feudal Japan, samurai revenge type story. And I was just, I don't know. I just was caught in this like critical fucking view of this movie, this lens. So, Well, where do you think you fall between those two points of it being amazing or it being like garbage? I mean, I... I would say it's amazing because I've always held that like it's a great movie ever since I first saw it. And that's why I recommended it. But I don't know why it happened to me this time around. I guess that happens well, with movies sometimes. It does. And it's an interesting question, the way you frame it, the way you frame your response to your own question. Because I think the the first half, it definitely had some trouble sinking its hooks into me i was like wait a minute what's going on who are they talking about but that just happens when it's like a lot of foreign names like when you give me 20 names in japanese in 10 minutes i'm like i can't i can't even remember like (laughs) american names in movies in the first 10 minutes you know so but 
But once you realize what the plot is, it's like, okay, this Lord is a savage beast who is an awful, awful, horrifying monster of a human. We have to get, we have to get a bunch of people together, our 13 assassins, our titular assassins, and go murder this motherfucker. And you're like, okay, I understand your plot. And then it has, it's like two thirds buildup. And you're like, okay, where is this going? And then it leads to one of the most ridiculously brutal and extended battle sequences in cinematic history. Yeah. The the level of blood is just fucking insane. Now, is there yeah. a point where blood literally washes over a roof? Yes. I just so have to ask the, that real quick. Yeah, one of the guys um he like he's about to die and he grabs one of the enemy soldiers and he like lights some dynamite or something. Okay, that's and what it, I thought. And it cuts it was. back to the outside and the <laughs> roof explodes and blood just gushes out. I was like, is that wine? Did they explode a wine barrel? But no, it was blood. It's um it's 13 soldiers, 13 assassins, the like uh shinobis, um samurai, that's the word. No. Not sh- yeah, no? Not shinobi. No, they're samurai. Yeah, not shinobi. Yeah, samurai. Versus like 300 guys or like 150 guys and it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This movie Oh man, where do I begin? Like I it's funny cuz Alex chose this movie and like usual I dominate the <laughs> the conversation, but I really didn't want to dominate. When I watched this movie, I was like, no, I'm going to let Alex really explain this. And when the when it was starting to beginning, I was getting vibes from um Sorry, I'm horrible with names. What's that movie we watched recently, Jesse? Uh the I believe it was J- Chinese Shadow of you wrote a review on it. Oh, Shadow. Oh, yeah, it's just called Shadow, yeah. It's funny, I actually have that literally pulled up because I was going to make a comparison in filmmaking. <clears throat> because like, while I do really love 13 Assassins, it doesn't have quite the style of a Yimu Zhang movie who people will know from, from Shadow and Hero and uh, all these other beautiful movies. But But it's almost kind of a non sequitur anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of had the same vibes when it was when it was beginning of like this very quick to begin story, and they're setting up these characters very quickly, and like you said, very much like this throwing at you of names. And I was actually like, I didn't want to get lost like I did with Shadow, so I actually really I rewinded the movie and I was like, all right, I really need to pay attention to these characters and their names. And I actually kind of wrote down a few of their names, or at least the spellings I could. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, that's funny. Clan leader, leader of Awari clan, leader of, okay, daughter, father of daughter who was killed. Like, because <laughs> I was really wanting to make the links because that, I think, fed to the... It, it tricks you into thinking it's more complex than it is. Yes, it yeah. does. It's so great. Yeah, it's that's a so, good point. It's, it's great because... So I, you know, I how I hate like subverting expectations, but I, I love it with when we watch Korean movies, Japanese movies, you know, movies from other countries, because our expectations we can only be subverted because we just have no real basis of understanding of how they do their movies or how the movies are done regularly, unless it's like a specific director. So it's it's just so much fun to sit there and think that the movie's going to go into this like almost Game of Thrones style political drama and then it just opens the floodgates on the blood <laughs> and at points on the ridiculous comedy factor which was super interesting. Did you find it comedic? 
Yeah. There what, was like, what did you find comedic? So there was three scenes. There was three comedic scenes in the movie. The first one was um, when the the two dynamite experts, like you know, were trying to like they, it was like Ocean's Thirteening, explaining everyone's role, <laughs> and it was like mm-hmm. you guys learned dynamite, <laughs> and they were going and they like it, they thought it was gonna blow up. And then it doesn't, and they're like looking oh, at that's each right. other. They're like and hiding then, behind yeah, the rocks, and then it blows. As you're like, okay, cool. That's a very like oceans. It's a very almost like American style film trope. Cool, mm. awesome. I'm with that. Yeah. And then the other one was the leeches. When he's like, oh, you got uh, some friends. And yeah, he's got like yeah, the leeches yeah. on his neck, and then he's got like 20 leeches yeah. on his neck that are very badly CGI <laughs> on there. Yeah. So, and then the third and final comedic scene. Uh, I mean, I guess you could count the big wave of blood as a comedic scene, but the true comedy scene, I think we can all agree, is the fireballs. Okay, yes, thank you. Uh, yes, I mean, I was gonna that's say, right. The, the fireballs fire was so out of the left field. I <laughs> those, was like, no, I don't... Fuck yeah, is going. I literally thought the movie was taking a kung pao into the fist like route. I was like, okay, here we go. I was like buckling up for like a musical number <laughs> and all this crazy shit. See, that's what that, I is, that is definitely the moment where it took a hard left turn into like, what the fuck? I was like, is I mean, this it, like it something does... they did in feudal Japan? I don't know. It, I mean, I know quite a bit about feudal Japan. I never heard about flaming bulls. Yeah, that was hilarious. Um, on the topic of like expectation, the way you expected this movie to play out, I didn't have that. Um, not not just because I've seen it before, but because I know that there is a link to be drawn here to, and very obviously from the title, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the most legendary movies of all time. And this has somewhat of a similar structure. It's not one-to-one, but it is like assembling a group of samurai for a purpose and then fitting up a town to fulfill that purpose and then a very extended battle at the end. Absolutely. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, see, I've never seen that. So for me, this was like my first exposure to this kind of format. It reminded me a lot actually of like the Yakuza games and a lot of like Roroni Kenshin. It just reminded me of a... this is Video game era. reference for the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love... This era of Japan. I mean, of course, everybody does, but like the end of the the Shogunate and the beginning of the Meiji era was just such a f- interesting time. I mean, my favorite anime of all time is probably Roroni Kenshin, and it captures that world so well. And I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a lot of attention to detail in this movie for like historical. Per- I don't know, and just for like, yeah, it's a uh, it's also. Context. On the topic of Kurosawa, I was I was loving how mannered the filmmaking is because mm-hmm. it's like you don't really know what you're gonna get with Takashi Miike because, like I said, he does wild, wild, wacky gore shit yeah. and stuff like Ichi the Killer, and he also does magical girl movies. So <laughs> to have him ha- have like this is like it feels like classical cinema. Like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's trying to achieve. It's not necessarily exactly like Kurosawa because, you know, filmmaking has evolved in 80 years, shockingly. Yeah. But but it is it does have that style to it in a sense where it just looks good. Yeah. It's very well shot. I was going to say the almost the exact same thing. I have that in my notes. It's like he it's close to mimicry of Kurosawa with a slight flair of Takashi Miike. 
and then well, it definitely the end, has the homage. Yeah, and then at the end, it it goes full blown like stylistic, his own auteur type of direction. But the beginning, especially when he's gathering the different samurai and getting to know people, it was like I was watching Seven Samurai. Yeah, it was like a manners drama in the beginning. Oh was yeah, so much focus on like the etiquette. And like the calm, quiet scenes of like bowing and doing, going through all of, I don't know, everything in this movie was so tactile. Like you could almost smell the sweat on the characters' like brows. Like <clears throat> you could almost smell like the the wet floor of the dojos. Like when when uh, the apprentice to oh the main character has like one of the coolest names, Shinzaimon. 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 Yeah. Uh, the um, his apprentice, uh, when he's like doing his like um, his ritual, his little practices in the oh the qu- dojo, the you know. quiet guy yeah. that's like a, yeah. just a fucking stud. Oh man, one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> where they were like, "Who are you?" And uh, he was like, "I'm a Ronin." Yeah, and he just cuts <laughs> and them he just down. Cuts them down. He's crazy, Alex. I have this question burning because um, in, in terms of casting, there was a moment. I mean, we're talking about the allusions here to seven samurai when they meet the guy in the forest who is like like the trapper guy mm-hmm. did you also think that's the tashiro mafune character oh 100 did you have that thought 100 percent. yeah it just completely is you're like that would have been tashiro mafune that is like the japanese equivalent of when american cinema reaches back eventually because they're rehashing everything to something like gone with the wind right and you'll see some young younger actress being playing vivian lee's part it'll be this weird like cultural signifier and i think that's just really it's really beautiful in american film and i think it's beautiful that internationally film has come this far that it can do that you said like 80 years right that's like exactly Man, something like that. Tashira Mafune's role. There's also something going on with him at the end. And, there is, and I have, I have questions yeah. about the end because you see, like he gets murdered pretty fucking clearly, and then well, he just comes back. He, he <laughs> dude, he has an yeah. arrow through his through his neck, sword, and sword. has his guts like sliced open. Nope. No. No, that doesn't happen. So. All right, so when he, I'm sorry I'm being resistant on this, but because when that happened, when the sword went through his neck, the first thing that I said out loud was, oh, you could survive that because of the way it it kind of went through just like the side of his neck. And you can see when he cuts up, he has all the wounds still. He's not healed and he's got blood running down his neck. And then that slice against his gut I was like, okay, are his guts going to fall out? And it was just like a little cut and it started bleeding. So I think regardless, you would not be in the spry shape that he was in at I the end. I definitely think there's something going on. But at the same time, they did a good job making you think at least there could be a possibility. Well, it brings in this idea of, I don't know, whether he's like a trickster entity, like something not altogether human. And I was reading, I can't remember if this is the director's commentary or someone else's commentary. I think it was the director. But that that decision was meant to possibly lead the audience into thinking that the other guy that survived 
maybe he didn't survive. Like maybe this is some kind of afterlife or something like that. But I don't, I don't personally get behind that reading. Uh, I don't think there's much to support that. So, yeah, the only thing I could see to support that would him was would be when he was walking away, and he said to his wife, uh, "Like if if I don't come back, you'll see me in the festival of the dead." And he he was the one who ends up surviving. Yeah. And since he they made such a big deal about his departure and his death, I could that reading carries not much weight, but a teeny bit of weight. So that part is interesting. After after we talk about this, I we have to, I have to ask you guys about another aspect of the movie, but we'll get there. Um, an, okay. Another character. Um, so I read this a long time ago. Full disclaimer: this isn't my original theory, but I've carried it around in my head. So, paraphrasing enough, and enough time has passed since I've seen it that it's basically like my own. You know how he's the nephew of Shinza. Shinza being the main character. Yeah. He's the nephew, right? He's like he's related to him by blood, I believe, in some mm-hmm. way. So he, yeah. he leads this really privileged life where he's always gambling and drinking and he's kind of like this wild spirit. And my theory is that when he leaves at the very end, that is like that part of him in that spirit. This like Japanese bandit archetype leaving and Mm. he is like separated from him there's someone who had this reading that they were like the same person or they were bound together and he began to see him more in his mind because towards the end after he's included right and he's like okay we're all 13 the guy gets really excited but only um what's his face talks to him when they're alone hmm Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of weird It's great that a movie like this which could be inter- interpreted as just kind of like a Japanese political drama has these kind of questions that can be asked and I was just kind of popping around through the IMDb trivia and apparently Takashi Miike claims that the final scene is open to interpretation and that it's possible that Kyoda Koyata really did die. Okay, see, that's what I read. Okay. So it was the yeah. director. That yeah, makes the sense. substantiating that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So the director has claimed this, that like this is a possible. And, and that makes more sense because the fact that they made such a big deal about his, in particular, his departure. And there was like another little piece of trivia that was like the two people that survive are the two people who originally weren't going to join yeah. the group. Like they were the two people who had the least true commitment to the cause it's cool too actually to think of it that way because then he goes i'm gonna go to america right and get with a bunch of girls like (laughs) just that idea that like when you're dead or in heaven or in the next place or whatever you want to call it you have this like attitude where you're just like purely like innocent and blissful and wishful in that moment yeah, no, it was it was a very strange ending. I mean, yeah, it's like he seemed to take on that kind of blissful serenity as he's walking through this just field of well, carnage. Yeah, a field yeah. of an entire town just covered then, in bodies, death, yeah. and blood. And and it's like he's almost at peace with himself. But then there's a scene and it ties to that where it's at the very end and he's 
you think he's going to like put his sword into the ground or cast it away, you know, being like, this is my final fight as a sh- as a samurai. Mm-hmm. But instead he tries to throw it and can't and then walks away towards the camera and right before it ends he's smiling. So there's a, there is like a yeah, like some serenity or some kind of finality like he was able to close that chapter of his life and put like a nice bow on it even if he had died and and i just want to point out that i thought it was i laughed out loud when they were like oh yeah. it's not 70 men it's over 200 i was like oh my god more meat for the meat grinder oh like man i, I got whole, so excited the, that whole fucking battle i i was it, it's an, it's interesting because I, there's two parts of my brain and I think the movie knows this. I think the director knows this. It's like people revel. They like to revel in this level of carnage and bloodshed, especially when it's samurai. Cause that's just awesome. But it goes so hard and it goes so far that it becomes one of those movies and scenes that are like, Holy shit. The horrors of war. Like we get that kind of stuff in like saving private Ryan and war movies more in particular. But but this one definitely crossed the line into that, and so you're you're at the same time as reveling in it, you're like holy shit. Towards the end of the movie, it it definitely is like gets into this war movie type feeling, especially when they get split up into pairs and they start forming these like relationships with each other, like right before they're about to die or be killed. Yeah, oh, I loved that dynamic. That <laughs> yeah. was such a cool dynamic. It was almost like the final scene of like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, these little splinter groups exactly. of the main group, and they were all like trying their best to hold off their own little wave of enemies, and eventually, like they all succumb to the enemies. That old man that they had with them that would make those like really crazy faces, mm-hmm. and the camera would just stop yeah. for a moment, and like. <laughs> that guy was badass. Dude, he, that guy was he hard. was like, <laughs> if anyone plays like a, a Japanese mobster, I mean, he has to have <laughs> yeah. a role every time. Like he looks so out of place because he looked like he was supposed to be like chomping on gabagool. And you seriously, know, like, it's, is he it's like so Japanese strange? <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. But I don't know. I've seen there was some genuinely uncomfortable scenes. Like that scene. With oh the- my god! When they set up the the bad guy. Wait. So I want to hold on. So I was gonna talk okay. about this. Can we talk about Lord Natsunaga real quick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah from like He's start a big part of this movie. Fin- like from his introduction to yes, his then most pathetic like death scene. yeah i love it what's Uh, the what's the first scene where they set him up are they just talking about him yeah that's the the scene with the girl with no limbs that's one of them there's one yeah he has like that's the former sex slave that he abandoned is this girl with no limbs and she's just like naked and it's fucking horrifying oh yeah i was i was they put the paintbrush in her mouth and like have her write and she's like crying blood as she's writing the words total massacre yeah. on the paper so it's like covered in blood it was, it was really impactful she so writes that's... mina karoshi which means all murdered which is strange oh, that damn. they chose that 
Interesting. That is interesting. I did not know that. They changed it for very much. You can tell they changed Total Massacre has like a much more like theatrical effect to it. As yeah. in All Murdered has much more of a contextual effect because he asks her specifically what happened to the village. So she responded, all murdered. And that makes more sense as far as like the context of a conversation. Nobody like is that dramatic. Uh, I think I like the I think I like the translation more because it just I don't know. It adds a certain impact, especially at the end when he brings it back yes. up oh, and yeah. holds it up to him. Like total massacre because yeah. that's what this is at the end. It is a total massacre. It's insane. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely was a good choice to change it. Yeah, yeah, you also have him like shooting arrows at little girls, like murdering children. Yep. And he rapes the guy's wife and like murders him and then she commits suicide like this movie's brutal yeah this dude is like a genuinely like i love genuinely good villains that are like they're that are brutal but like have a kind of a mode not motivation because he was actually quite a hollow character because you don't really get much context about like who he is besides the fact that he's like the adopted brother of the current shogun until Mm -hmm. like the end really yes but like, yeah. Well, you have this interesting dimension to him where it's not just like a personal horror. You can see it as like a burgeoning historical horror because what's happening in the context of Japan at this time is it's an age of peace. And he's like a warlike monstrosity in an age of peace. And at the end, he's like loving the massacre and he's like, we need to bring back the age of war. Like that's yeah. a, that would be a great thing. And it also speaks to the the sort of samurai code that surrounds him, you know, not necessarily in himself, but those that serve him, because all these people see all these samurais that serve him see what he is like. They're not blind to it, obviously, like you can't be, but they still just choose to serve. They're like, it's just it's not a samurai's role to question or anything like that. It's just to serve your master. Mm-hmm. Even if your Lord is the worst person ever. That little, uh, side like storyline that they had with Hanbei and Shinza was really, it was touching, but it was also, it, it was like just morbid, solemn. You knew that one of them had to die and they were going to kill each other. And I saw thought that they set up their implied friendship at one point very well. Yeah, I mean, they did. They, they, they set up the final fight between them was really, like, a great fight. And, I mean, all the fights, this game, this, game, <laughs> this movie is, uh, I know, right? Uh, this movie is brilliantly choreographed. The fights feel, especially the one-on-ones, they, they feel like they're striking each other with some force yeah. on those strikes. Like, they're really going after it. And the swords don't look like rubber. They look like they're, like, a composite so it gives them a much more rigid appearance and doesn't take you out of the the film but no the movie looks very realistic the only thing that didn't was the flaming bulls yeah yes the flaming bulls was very out of nowhere that was like (laughs) i don't know so the thing about natsunaga (laughs) at least is that it gives the movie this really strange dynamic for me where it's like he's so evil that I buy in right away to the mission. And that's what like really gets me into the movie. They just did a really good job. I feel like of uniting audience hatred. Yes. With 
you know, the plot as well in the characters. It's it's akin to Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Milos Foreman in that movie did a really good job. So yeah, I don't know. He he was just such a fucking Dude, you like, as the audience are set up very early being like, Okay, this guy needs to die. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. sure. Like I, I totally hear you. It's um <laughs> Well, to speak back to what Jesse was saying, to kind of combine both of your ideas, um, I kind of feel like he was definitely a metaphor for the the coming of a new age and the dying of an old age and like the last final kind of uh, death rattle of the of the shogunate and of yeah. the samurai. I mean, you have to think about the samurai as a people because they were peasants who rose up to become rulers and lords and and establish an entire dynasty and and code of honor so it's almost like uh it's a lot like english uh like chivalry and knights Mm -hmm. um you have this entire lifestyle that has been created for these men that is just slowly falling apart and and collapsing that's i mean it's a really good point because natsunaga kind of he plays this role of like that There's always, like like you said, in the death rattle, you know, like, make Japan great again, you know, like, shut the fuck up. You were never around for any of that shit. And now you're, like, looking in on, a, like, a wondrous boy, you know, just like, oh, we should bring back the age of war. The age of war. And it's like, you're like, you're such a child. You've, like, barely spilt any blood or done anything when it's been a fair fight. You murder well, you- children like <laughs> there was a point in this movie and because i couldn't remember how it ended or anything but i was like this is so bleak that i was almost expecting or at least would not have been surprised if the if the assassins failed like oh, if the oh, bad guy yeah. had I was won. Ex- absolutely expecting <laughs> them to fail i was expecting the, the the main guy to like sit on his throne and or sit on his seat next to the shogun and like just like walk in like as if nothing happened but uh he took quite a turn and i'm doing a little like side research while we were talking and apparently there was a japanese cut and an international cut of this movie yeah it's like 20 minutes longer okay so which version did did we watch we watched whatever the we watched the the shorter one yeah oh i could i could not find for okay. the life of me, because apparently the original version it goes more into the bandit's background, and another interview with the director and all of like the like Japanese people who watch this movie and kind of diagnose it. Yeah, they say that the bandit represents yokai or a forest a forest spirit. And yeah, so therefore I mean that makes immortal. complete sense. Yeah. That totally tracks. Like I was saying before, there's yeah, something definitely like like liminal about him he's definitely like a trickster character for sure yeah so i I like that i wish we saw that version but yeah so apparently uh they have much more like there's much more background into that and apparently it also says that uh that like they destroy much more of the village in the original cut as well. In the <laughs> more, cut. oh Damn. man, more <laughs> extra brutality, extra explosivity, so, extra destruction. Whereas, in it kind of looked like at the end of our version, it looked like oh, okay, they could clear out the bodies and you know. Yeah, but, I know that the first time I saw it, I knew about this, and I was able to track down the the the. The two-hour, twenty-minute version, the original version, but I mean, how wherever that file ended up <laughs> ten years ago is lost to time. So, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, that was uh, just some little side digging and some interesting little. That's fact cool. Items. That's yeah. cool. Do you guys have a favorite character? Oh, uh, I don't know, Alex. I want to hear yours as, as an avid fan of this movie. I mean, it's hard because you always love the guy that survives, right? Because I feel like each person in that whole like Freudian self sense, you always see yourself as the main character in some way. So I do like the nephew. I always love Japanese bandit archetypes. I think they're some of the coolest characters in all of like shows, books, whatever. Like it's just a cool archetype uh, to me. The bandity monkey man who's played by not Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Think like Mugen in Samurai Champloo, if anyone's seen that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But I want to say that my favorite character for no other reason than just like pure fighting style, I like this dude, was the dude with this long staff, the chubbier, older guy. Oh, the spear. Yeah, yeah, the spear guy. He was like, like, what do you want to do with this money? And he was like, oh, I'm going to... You know, fuck some bitches and whores and bury yeah. my wife and yeah. bury myself yeah. and yeah, yeah, my yeah. debts. And, <laughs> and uh, there you go. And it was like, I love cool. his motivation. He's like, I believe in your mission, but you know, I am probably going to die. So yeah. give me 200 real yeah. so I can go experience the things that I haven't gotten to experience <laughs> in this peasant warrior life of mine. <laughs> yep. And then like, seven. he just had like a, he had like a nice, like, I don't know, like jovial energy to him. Mm-hmm. But there's like a respect there as well because. He was like, he was like, he's like, I'm gonna settle my debts and like bury my wife and myself. Like mm-hmm. he was gonna take care of business and then experience the pleasures. So there was and like then a, take care of business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some serious, TCOB, baby. serious business. <laughs> TCOB. Yeah, I don't know. I I loved um, I loved the most badass guy. We talked about him oh, a little bit earlier. Dude, I don't remember his si- name. Strong, silent type. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just think, because like yeah. the way that he carried himself in those action scenes where he just destroyed everybody was amazing. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see him die. I, I guess I missed it. Yeah, he maybe it was like a his, blink and you miss it yeah, kind of thing. But at the was. end, I was like, I was like waiting for him to come back. Yeah, he died with his apprentice because it's a. They do that scene where his apprentice is dying, and like they do that really cool camera cut where like his apprentice is looking kind of like horizontal and they turn the cor- the, ha- the camera horizontal but like vertically so you kind of mm-hmm. have to tilt your head yeah that insane. was an interesting shot yeah and then uh the math like he he says like master and then he dies and then the master that guy dies like right after like, yeah it's like yeah well i guess when you have second. like 500 people who are all dressed like samurai with top knots covered in blood can be easy to miss uh, oh what are you trying to say no, even at the beginning of the film, it's hard to keep up because not only do you have that cultural barrier, I'll just talk about it right now because, you know, Japanese, I'm everything. I could talk about whatever. Um, <laughs> but, like, when everyone's haircut is the same and they're all essentially wearing the same clothing, it's even harder in a Kurosawa movie because it's in black and white usually. And I'm like, yeah. God damn. I'm, this is really hard to figure out unless it's his, you know, two principal actors that he always uses in every film. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's really the voices for me because a lot of them, I swear, are voice actors in animes that I've watched. They just Probably. have that great commanding tone and like deep, 
just resonance to their voice. Like I yeah. just I recognize a lot of their voices. So I really I put a lot of their like faces to their voices. So that kind of linked it up for me. When you get out of the cutesy like Tokyo popular way that people think that Japanese people speak, Japanese can be yeah. a incredibly harsh sounding language. You know, like can be very authoritative. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very like somber and grounded yeah there's definitely an aspect of that kind of dramatic effect that they put on their voices for sure for like almost like the theatrical purposes mm-hmm. you see it that almost a- feels like their voices are just imbued with this ideal of like respect and honor yeah or something like that it's done really well but for me my favorite character just to finish that thought up for you is uh would be the the nephew uh koyata kiga got he's it played by, uh, he's played by yusuke iseya who is Kenshin in the Roroni Kenshin live action movies? Oh, are so, those good? Yeah, for me. <laughs> are you, do you like Do you like Roroni Kenshin? Uh, I think I saw it when I was like fourteen. I don't really remember. Yeah, I mean, I would say watch the anime in, to completion and then watch the movies because <laughs> then it'll be like, oh, this is fun. This is like linking along to the move the the anime I love, but. Watching it in a vacuum, you're gonna be like, mm, "Those swords are looking pretty styrofoamy." Uh. <laughs> I had to look. I had to look to see if Takashi Miike directed those, but he did not. He directed. No. Um, he directed JoJo's Bizarre Adventure: Diamond Is Unbreakable, Chapter One, though. And Damn. he did audition, right? Yeah, I mean that that was my um, joke reference, but yes, he did audition. <laughs> Have yeah, you seen I mean, audition? Of course. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you guys know what I'm talking about with that one. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's like why I was like expecting something very different for this movie. Yeah, this movie is interesting, right? Because it, it it gets into that little channel that we're talking about of like almost tribute, not only to Japanese history, but to the history of Japanese filmmaking, right? It would be no different than Spielberg talking about something that like John Ford did or fucking David Lane or something like that. Because this is so funny. I'm going to link you guys right now. (laughs) The just look at the poster for his latest movie. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Nice. (laughs) You describe that for our audience, Jeff. Oh yeah. I'd love to. Um, This is probably what will be, Consider for me just like solid beat off material from the next. Oh my god! <laughs> no, this is a- <laughs> no. They're way too young. I mean, who knows? You know, like they're, like they're ageless. They're timeless. They're ageless. Uh, and and uh, this poster looks like a cake that would make you sick. It's so sweet. So this poster is bright pink, and it has four. I'm going to say women because to me they look like they're trying to pass as younger than they are. So I'm going to say four women dressed in what they're supposed to be ch- like children, little, little princess dresses, uh, covered in dollar store toys. Uh, yeah. I, from the context, <laughs> I cannot suss out anything to do with this movie or plot. No. Beyond do you want to fact- read the title? In Japanese? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, I mean, it's insanely long and convoluted. I can't I wanted even to trap you. Begin to like. I mean, the font is awful. Well, you can see it on the IMDb page at the top. Oh, okay. Oh God. Okay, yeah. I'm not even gonna try. 
Damn it. <laughs> I tried, everybody. I tried. I'm not going to say it. Uh, no. There's no way. <laughs> All right. I, the first, I've never even heard of this conjugation in Japanese before. Gekihoban? Gekihoban? Like, that is insane. Porosu, uh, X usually means and. Senshi, ra. <laughs> oh, fuck that word, dude. <laughs> Rabu Paturina. Rabu Paturina. Rabu Paturina. Yeah, you're, all right, there we go. I had to hear it Kaito once. Kaito Kara no Chosen. Rabu de Papato Taiho Seo. It's like the longest title I've ever seen. Well, it's like, it looks like two titles and then a subtitle. Because it's first title, X, second title, exclamation point, end of sentence, dash and then subtitle so it's like it's like indiana jones versus the hulk revengeance yeah but longer but much longer but much longer (laughs) uh yeah so this is um got quite off topic but (laughs) it has (laughs) it absolutely has i wanted to talk about the detail though real quick in this movie um because you can make a movie like this and you can really overlook and I'm not talking about historical detail or anything like that. You can really overlook the the texture of a movie like this and, and really just make it about the story. And it'll still be great. But they didn't. They thought about the texture. Like there's great little scenes in the dojo when him and his apprentice are talking. Um, and they, the boken that are hanging on the wall, little the wooden training swords are like worn in different ways. Like some of them are like worn more at the tip. Some of them are worn more in the middle. Uh, when like the, um, the uh, when Shinza and um, what's his name? Oh, Hanbei. Hanbei. Hanbei and Shinza, they, their final fight and they're clashing swords, those close-ups, you can see like the nicks and chips and like yeah. in the swords. I noticed that too. That was really, really great attention to detail, like how a sword wears very quickly in a battle and it doesn't just stay like this like perfect blade. Yeah. It becomes serrated and the cuts become so much more like disgusting and devastating because they become just these like bread knives that you're fighting with. Ugh. Well, if it gets too too mutilated, you can just pick up a sword from any wall or yeah. ground. Oh, just anywhere. Just swords I love I love that actually. That was <laughs> that cool. That scene was amazing. That was just like I love it. He was like he would only pick up the second sword to do a killing blow and then dr- like lo- drop it immediately because so he was using like the momentum from the run that he was doing to pick up a sword, kill someone and keep moving. He was it was so fucking like hero, it was so anime, it was so like one of the very <laughs> uh like uh dram- like fantasized moments in the movie. It was really really great. And it was yeah, this movie drops in the humor, it drops in the high fantasy, the mythos at the perfect time. It's like a great cake. All of the elements just mix well together, and even the dumb little comedy moments. I mean, this movie, really, in a nutshell, is kind of like just like Ocean's Thirteen in Japan. It's like we gotta <laughs> assemble the team, and yeah. we got the demolitions expert, and we got the guy with if the grudge. If that ended in the most like horrifying blood, yeah. If it ended seen. in like them failing the heist, and then all the oceans guys just like decided to mass murder the entire casino, and all the civilians. In it. <laughs> I kept, I kept thinking Jesus. about while I was watching it. I kept thinking like because when I watch movies like this i'm always thinking about how crazy it must have been to make because i know one of the cool things about the director is that he 
he uses practical effects whenever possible. He's not a big fan of CGI. I think, I, I mean, I thought the bulls were probably CGI. Um, oh, yeah, the bulls and yeah. the leeches were CGI. But none of like the battle stuff, I think all that blood was definitely real blood. I mean, you know, Whoa. quote unquote real. Yeah, movie blood. Um, yeah. Movie blood, but but it's like, it, it just, it boggles my <clears throat> mind like how crazy that would have been to shoot. And to make it look so good for six million dollars as well, oh which is nothing. Do you think they actually blew just up crazy. that building? I mean, it looks like it. Yeah, I, I, it looks like they built a whole fucking town. Yeah, and then gradually destroyed <laughs> yeah. it. It really yeah. looked like they blew up that building, like legitimately. Like the way it landed and everything was just too perfect. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think like, there was very little CGI in this, which is even miniature, like fantastic ways in ways of miniature. I, I feel like the building was like full size. No, I think they blew up like yeah. I think they just blew up like the full size building. I don't, yeah. I don't think that was a miniature. That at was all. the last yeah. shot they did in the movie. Yeah, They're like, they, all right, we got our battle scenes, we got all our footage. Now let's like cover it all in blood again, fresh paint of blood. Some for blow it up. Some poor like. PA or fucking interns just eating his lunch in there. No one told him. <laughs> right. Oh. Oh. A geyser of blood shoots out of the ceiling. They're like, oh shit. <laughs> Is that part of the movie? Like, was that just like one of our dummies? Oh, somebody did their research. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that is how they actually blow up. <laughs> but yeah, the movie is like, I don't know. It's a just a production. Especially from that I want to say like hour 20 minute mark when the battle starts. And I was going to ask you guys this because I think about Dungeon Siege and that ridiculously long battle scene that was so visually it's like the most like boring epileptic. scene ever. Yeah. Like it was just like, I, it was just vomiting all over my eyeballs. Well, one of the points that I made in that is like action isn't just things happening. Action has to tell a story and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Like then the name of the king, the problem was like there was no ebb and flow. There was no poetry to it at all. There was no story being told. Whereas this, even though it's like 45 minutes of kinetic, brutal action. Yeah. It's going places and it's telling not just one story. There's like an overarching story where they're they're trying to get to the main bad guy, mm-hmm. which they finally do at the end. But there's all these miniature stories going on at the same time. Like you said earlier, there's these little brotherhood elements forming between like when two of them have to meet up and like try to save each other from getting overrun. Yeah. And it's like, and you see the, the gradual degradation of the town you see more and more bodies more and more bloodshed more and more just destruction of the town when all of their devices go off and stuff like that it's so cool to see these like giant wooden contraptions fall into place and i don't know like i don't think it's stupid or anything like that like the bulls yeah i was like okay what's happening here but uh, thank god it only lasted for like maybe two seconds right um we keep going back to that but it was just so strange yeah it was that they released the flaming bulls <laughs> to just bowl over all these guys i was, tried to look up if that was like an ancient like or like a, a feudal japanese tactic nothing i couldn't find anything about releasing flaming bulls well you know speaking of video games um sekiro has a boss in it that it, it is like a flaming bull and it's like that. It has like huh. these weird barrels on it, and it's like back is on fire. 
I want to know. So maybe is that like a, a so maybe that's just <laughs> something that is a reference, or maybe Sekiro is nodding to Thirteen Assassins. That would be sick. Yeah, I mean the the problem when trying to figure it out is like this movie's not popular in the way that something like Seven Samurai is. Like, there's not a whole lot of information you can find about it. Even the IMDb page has like five things or something like that. That's why I chose like I, it too. Oh yeah. Compared to because originally for the people listening, I was going to choose Seven Samurai, but then you know, in a quick moment of reflection, I just thought, you know, so much has been said and talked about with Kurosawa. I mean, he's such a titan of film. So I decided to go with something that was I felt like kind of akin to it, but a little more recent. And also, like, I'm not sure how much we can add to the conversation of Seven Samurai. Yeah. I think there are people who are way better at film analysis to explain why that movie's great than us. I mean, obviously, we have our thing that we do, and we can talk about anything, but I think I agree with your decision to go for this instead. And I don't know. So Jeff hasn't seen any Kurosawa films. What would be the one to, like, break him into it? I would think, like, Rashomon would probably be my vote. It's much more, A, it's quicker, and it's more digestible and more, like, easily emblematic of his style Mm -hmm. than, like, delving right into the four-hour Seven Samurai. I would do that one, or I would definitely do Throne of Blood, which is... Yeah, I saw Throne of Blood. Oh, okay. Well, I think we've yeah, talked about that. this before. Yeah, because yeah. we did that before uh, Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then definitely Rashomon because like you said, it's maybe the that movie is t- tightest movie of ever made. Like, I don't mean that in the, you know, like, oh, that shit's tight, like vernacular. I mean, like <laughs> the way we use it here on this yes. podcast. But It is a efficient film. Yeah. Not one moment of that is wasted or extraneous. It tells its story so tightly and so perfectly and is just amazing. So I'm definitely a fan of doing Rashomon at some point. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, from what you guys say, and, you know, whatever, I mean, obviously Kurosawa is a legend and I have heard of him like extensively. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's just never. It's a hard name to not hear if yep. you're swirling around in the movie dimensions. So I'm down. Yeah, so that's yeah. 13 Assassins. Definitely. I'll let you guys say more about it if you want to, but... No, I really, like, I, wa- I was watching this movie, and I was I was really into it, and I was thinking to myself, like, where can I find more of this? Like, this, this gritty, realistic, grounded Japanese drama. Mm, that, also, that also apexes into an insane battle. Yeah, dude, I know the perfect movie for you. Came out early 2000s little guy named thomas cruz and ken watanabe oh it's called the last uh the last of the mohicans yeah exactly yeah really i thought that movie was like ridiculous like (laughs) we should do an episode on that exploitation (laughs) like (laughs) that movie is fucking bonkers but last samurai talking about yeah I saw that movie so many times when I was a kid. I have it on DVD. I don't remember it like at all, though, now. I mean, it fits the criteria. (laughs) Yeah. Does it get crazy bloody or anything? Uh, Towards the end, I mean, it's about, like, the American imperialistic outreach towards Japan and the split that it created with the people that were like, no, we want to stay with, like, our way and just have our emperor 
but then the emperor was being persuaded by the other side of Japan who was like already wearing western style suits and cutting their hair all short and were like no we're gonna go like this American way and they were right around the time of the civil war so new advancements in weapons had been made like barreled rifles or excuse me rifled barrels came into play it wasn't you were just you weren't just shooting a musket you know and praying that it hit the guy uh the gatling gun artillery things like that and Tom Cruise and his boys roll up. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise and his boys. I just boys. love I just love like I know that the the meaning of the title is the last samurai plural. Like it's about the last of the samurai. Yeah. But just having like that title and then the poster yeah. or the DVD cover or whatever is just Tom Cruise. You're like, "Oh, yeah, Tom Cruise is the last samurai." Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sure, Hollywood. <laughs> if you say so. It's like uh it falls in with like the Mexican starring Brad Pitt yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's just funny. That movie poster of him just sitting down on the curb. You're like, who's this white dude? <laughs> He's the Mexican. Yeah. Man. yeah, he is the Mexican. But yeah, man, thirteen assassins. It's a it's a wild ride. It's it starts off pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's very mannered and dark. It's definitely very dour and dark. There's not a lot of levity. I mean, Jeff, as Jeff has stated, there are moments of it, but it takes a while to get to that. But man, if you if you're a fan of your movie violence, especially when it's like awesome samurai stuff, this movie is in a league of its own. Yeah, it's like, for it's you. One of the most wild, over the top, and yet somehow serious and impactful. Mm-hmm. action sequences I've ever seen. Nice. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought it back. Nice. Glad you brought it back into my world because <laughs> I had forgotten how awesome this movie is. <laughs> yeah, it definitely satisfies that craving, right? When you just need some go-to action, like slashing down the bad guy at all costs. Oh, this movie has entered my top 10, like for sure. Oh, that's awesome. It's so satisfying as well when they finally get that bastard. Oh, Because yes. it's earned. They earn it. This isn't like the end of like Goldfinger or something, <laughs> you know? No, and they roll his ass in the mud. Oh, yeah. Like they turn him, they make him dirty. I've never seen a character go from clean to dirty so quickly in my life. Like <laughs> he gets stabbed and he's immediately covered in, in mud and blood. The second yeah. he hits the ground, and he becomes a different character. I yeah. know it's creepy. Is it's really, really wild. unsettling. I hated no, that it's, scene. I real, I loved it. I think because Oof. he represents this, this, this rising of this new era of in Japan that is weak and and frail and fragile and just cruel on the exterior, cruel to its people, cruel to its servants. Cruel to everyone. Literally, the reason the samurai rose up in the first place, and yet they're a dying race, and they can do nothing but like grasp meagerly at the throat of this hey, new Jeff, era. Samurai aren't a race, okay? <laughs> you racist? No, but okay. Uh, I know what mm. you're saying, though, Jeff. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, it's like all right. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Your boy's done. It's just disgusting when he says, like, oh, this is, thank you for giving me my most exciting day. It's just, like, interesting. It's, like, almost too much is given to you and to your character. Like, no, I 
didn't want you to have the most exciting day of your life as your last day. Because doesn't that actually kind of sound great? I mean, the most exciting yeah, day of your life. Yeah, he's reveling in it. Yeah, like, no, I want you to die, like, slowly and terribly. But there was that moment when he was in the dirt, and I was like, yes. And Ace acting all throughout the film, I will say. Oh, yeah. Like, we yeah. haven't... We haven't uh, given that enough credit but it's immaculately acted directed the movie looks great it's everything about it technically and performance wise is fantastic yep it's a it's a solid piece of art this film i i was i was thoroughly impressed with uh with the whole thing top to front top yeah, to bottom solid unique beautiful impactful brutal piece of art yeah yep. hell yeah go I'll watch it, it. Go watch it on your Netflix or wherever your movies are found <laughs> these days. Um, so before we wrap up, I uh, know it's only been a couple of days since we recorded, but you guys see anything interesting? Um, no, no, not for me on my end. Uh, I've been working this new job, so. Yeah, Jeff got a cool new job, so he's busy with that. Yep. Alex, you got anything? Yeah, uh, TV show like I usually do. I feel like I, mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of TV shows, but uh, it's called Ted Lasso. A lot of people oh, have probably heard about it. A little, uh, little I love, known show. Yeah. I've never heard of this legitimately. It won. Of Ted Lasso? Really? It won no. a bunch of Emmys this year, just recently, a few weeks ago, and did uh, Best Comedy Series and some like supporting actor things and writing and whatnot. I'm always talking about like the death of uh this like postmodern cynicism on this podcast and this show really takes up the mantle as far as like this new direction of being funny without needing to being like so negative i guess or being just a dick i don't know it's interesting right because sometimes it's hard because you get these shows that are like really positive and glowing and things like that and feel good and you're like okay this is kind of a waste of my time but it's starting to be a more popular trend and people are starting to watch it a lot more but i also think it's just incredibly funny well all right if that sounds like it's up your alley then scope that out <clears throat> new tv show to watch i am gonna do a little book report uh it's been a little while since we done one of these but i continued my ascent through the guy Ritchie verse oh god um still determined to do that and i will eventually get through it uh, so I watched The Man from Uncle. I was going to do a book report on this with Jeff in its own segment, but he got busy. So, uh, yeah, I watched The Man from Uncle. It's kind of like, um, it's like his version of James Bond kind of deal, but uh, it feels more hokey and silly and light even than James Bond, which is by design, I believe, because it's based on an old TV show from like the 60s or something like that. Some yeah. old British like spy show. So it definitely has that tone. Has Henry Cavill, Army Hammer, Alicia Vikander, and I thought it was fun. It's a fun movie. It definitely is not going to leave a lasting impression, but it's like if you dig that kind of like cheeky spy comedy with with decent action, I definitely think like up to and including it because I haven't seen anything after it, but He's doing pretty well with action in this movie. It is uh, fairly impressive in terms of Guy Ritchie, you know, because 
he's generally not like an action director, but I guess he did these after Sher- did this after Sherlock Holmes. So mm-hmm. I guess he learned some lessons. Um, you you've seen this movie, right, Alex? Yeah, I actually was gonna say I like this movie a lot. I think it has a cool little. I like like the style of it, and like you said, it not only does it have this kind of spy comedy thing to it, it's like it gives me like a Austin Powers vibe almost, without getting too ridiculous or like into the actual comedy vein something about it it's like this cool little dress-up kind of movie it's like a period piece you know so yeah it's a solid quippy action movie it definitely feels like it it lends itself to being directed by guy Ritchie. yeah it has that style it has that style it's not it's not lock stock and snatch it's definitely its own thing and um I think what it what was missing from it for me is like a really strong central performance. Like mm-hmm. the actors do a good job, Henry Cavill and Arby Hammer. I think it's the writing. Like nobody really stole the show. But when it was done, I was like, okay, that was fun. Like I would watch more movies about this team, like mm-hmm. doing sixties CIA KGB operations. Yeah. And <laughs> it also has two of our favorite actresses on the show. Yeah. Alicia Vikander and um Elizabeth Debicki. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, from uh, Tenet. Oh, I forgot she was in that. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to see Elizabeth Debicki playing a Bond villain, it's a good movie for that, too. So that's uh, that's my book report on The Man from Uncle. Nice. It's pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. It sounds like something I would definitely enjoy. You might, man. You like you like Guy Ritchie movies when they're good. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's us for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to my co-hosts. Of course, yeah, anytime, thanks, yeah. anytime. This was a fun one. Thanks for recommending it, Alex. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it so much. I was, I was scared of your, your criticism on this one. <laughs> no, this was this <laughs> one was uh, a classic, instant classic. Nice. Were you scared? Did you think we might not like it? No, that was just some lighthearted banter to end oh, the episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that it's become one of Jeff's favorite movies. I love it when that happens. Yeah. You show someone that, something that you love and they're instantly glom onto it <laughs> in the same kind of way. No, it was amazing. Yeah. All right, people. We'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye. See you later. Now our podcast is done And we have to run We know it is sad But we had so much fun Don't be bereft Jesse, Alex, and Jeff Will be back real soon The Real Weirdos We talk about movies For way too goddamn long Boo 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 boo.